Hey, and welcome to what is episode 65 of the Stag Raw. We're going for something a little bit different. I was a guest um, on Chris Desmond's Uncomfortable is OK podcast back in January. You might remember Chris Desmond on an episode of ours a few episodes ago. So if you haven't listened to that one, be sure to go back and check it out. This is my first time being a guest on a podcast, so it was pretty exciting and also a little bit nerve-wracking. So I'd love to hear your feedback on how I went. <laughs> um, what does come up is something that I've written a blog about recently on stagrind.com, and that's journaling. And how much of a difference that makes to my day-to-day. I'm on holiday right now and haven't felt the same need to journal. Um, it's been really, really relaxing and an awesome chance to unwind back in New Zealand, back in a uh, semi-normal temperature, living uh with Alex's parents in a semi-rural area and also have been at the beach house, their beach house, super lucky that their family has such amazing foresight to have a place by the beach, it's beautiful out there, um, also enjoyed a wedding, but yeah, um, journaling on my day-to-day helps me get out of my monkey brain, uh, get creative, get thinking in a normal state and um, also it means that the day, those little things that might tick you off, just don't seem to matter quite so much because you're primed and ready for what is an awesome day ahead. And it's always an awesome day. So yeah, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this. This was on Chris's Uncomfortable is OK podcast back in January. And also be sure to check out my interview with Chris Desmond from The Uncomfortable is OK. Cheers. Uh, Ryan O'Connor, welcome to The Uncomfortable is OK podcast, bro. How are you today? Awesome, thanks, mate. It's um, beautiful weather here in northern rivers of Australia. It's probably a bit too hot, but um, had a nice walk on the beach with my daughter and, and partner this morning. So, yeah, we're, we're good over here. Nice, nice. And uh, you're usually on the other side of the microphone asking the questions. Have you been a guest on many podcasts before? Uh, this is my first time as Ooh. a guest. Um, yeah. Yesterday, I recorded uh, some questions for somebody, but that was that was pretty easy because it was just here's, here's your prompts and go for it. But this is yeah. the first time actually having to uh, to uh, answer some questions in person. They're just going to be fired at you without uh, thinking about it. <laughs> nice, mate. I'll I'll try and be gentle for your first time. Um, let's let's start things off. Let's let's go easy, bro. Uh, where were you born? Where did you grow up, mate? So. If you haven't picked it up, I have to say the right words, such as words, but um, I'm from Invercargill, um, so we sort of um, lived in a small house to, I was about four, and then we moved out to a semi-rural area of Invercargill, which is called Otatara, or Otatara, if you're you're watching the news, Um, and we had two acres there, and and some sheep, and, and we were surrounded by a bush, and pretty good natured neighbours that let us go out and climb their trees and, and weren't too worried about a bunch of kids running around the neighbourhood and, and had some good neighbours over the road who again had a big paddock out the back and you know it wasn't really farmed or anything. We'd just sort of go out the back and make huts and play war games and yeah, it was, it was pretty loose. And then um, through high school, just yeah, really focused on sport. I was, I was a swimmer for a while and sort of, Gave that up to concentrate on playing soccer and, and water polo and small town places sort of ended up playing with adults um, to get good competition. But 
yeah, it was it was it was definitely easy. Five minutes from anywhere, and you could do a lot while you were there. So it was really good times. Mm, yeah, and I mean, I think I probably had a a similar upbringing to you, living in kind of semi rural New Zealand, a little bit out of uh, out of a few towns. Uh, I was born in West Auckland, but that was the eighties, so it was still yeah. like West Auckland was still real rural. Eh? We had a creek and some bush at the back of our house. Um, so I really understand what you mean about kind of just being out, able to go out and make huts and, and build things as well. And I think like that sets you up for just to have a massive appreciation for nature and getting outside uh, in, the, in your older years as well, um, which, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if uh, kids that grow up in really urban environments at the moment, like what effect that has on them as they become adults. Mate, uh, uh, I'm an optometrist, and so that's one of our biggest concerns is that this massive urbanisation of the population has meant that everybody's spending way, way more time in, inside, and so the rates of short-sightedness are going up massively. And so how we deal with this urbanisation of, of culture, of society, um, is having a massive effect on you know not just people's mental health and and, and the way they eat and the way they exercise and the way they move, but also in the way that they see. Um, the biggest thing you can do to prevent short-sightedness is be outside. So, yeah, you know, there's so much to consider with, with what's happening to society these days. Mm-hmm. I wanna, I'm going to loop back around to, uh, to chatting about sort of upbringing, but from a, like a, a, an optometrist point of view, like with the, the urbanisation and the time inside, is that short-sightedness, is that brought about by just training our eyes to look at things at a close distance? Or is there, um, and actually what we can do is kind of go and retrain our eyes to get better at distance view and vision afterwards? Or is once it happens, is that something that's irreversible? So the sort of theory behind it is is quite loose and it's, a lot of it's based on what slows things down and also in, in animal models, how you influence to, to get the model. So um, when it comes to trying to induce short-sightedness in, a, in an animal, you um, do what's called form deprivation. So you put a lens in front that, that takes away any distinction and the eye will grow longer. Um, or you can put a lens in front of the eye that puts the focus of, of the eye when looking at distance behind the eye and the eye will start to compensate for that and, and increase. So the theory behind does more near work influence um, the way that the eye grows is, is that they think that the focusing of the eyes a little bit will only do as, as much as it needs to do, which means that mm-hmm. the, the focus of the, the eye is slightly behind the eye when up close and which could induce a growth phase um, and then for being outside and, and looking far away it means that the muscle in the eye is relaxed as it possibly can and the um, overall sheath of the eyeball as well as relaxed as it possibly can and therefore the and also the margin for error between um, what's in focus and what's out of focus is minimal and so therefore you don't get these same growth signals happening um, then there's a whole, whole realm of uh, energy and, and hormone signals. So maybe dopamine and, 
and serotonin are also helping the, the eyeball to um, stable away and not sort of exceed this massive growth and end up short-sighted. So, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, and you could also say that the the type of light that you get from inside, you know, it's not as bright, it's different spectrums. Hey, there's there's many, many things that could influence the growth mm. of the eye. It's not something that they've pinpointed yet, but definitely currently we've got little ways of, of trying to hack the system and slow that progression of eye growth and hopefully mean that someone, if even if they are short-sighted, they're only sort of minus one or minus two and that's manageable, whereas if they're, um, over minus four and especially if they're over minus six downstream as they age there's massive complications that can come up such as glaucoma and macular degeneration the retina falling off um, which are all very bad news yeah yeah that doesn't sound particularly pleasant um yeah so make sure you get your kids to play outside uh i i, <laughs> I sit at uh minus 3.25 I think but that's uh, I can blame my parents for for that one unfortunately um so Absolutely. shake my shake my fist at them um and I I think that um let's that that was really fascinating but let's look back around to uh to growing up and like lots of sport lots of outside time but were there any kind of big formative experiences when you were younger that have really set you on the path that you're on today? Um, there is a couple, and it's one I've spoken about a few times on my podcast, is that as a, as a swimmer, um, we, we were lucky enough that in my age group I had one of the best swimmers in, in the country, and so I was always chasing his tail, um, and so I always had a had a goal to, to look for and sort of the, my last season of, of really giving it a, a good serious go we had a training camp um, in a tiny town in northern Southland called Lumsden and the first day you know it was the first time ever training three times a day for two hours and the final session I think I had about two sets to go of these 400 meter freestyles and I was just out, out. I was, I, was on, I couldn't go anymore and the coach made me finish the, the session. So what would have normally taken me about oh, six minutes or so, I think it ended up taking me 15 minutes. And um, <laughs> try, trying to swim when your arms and legs are absolutely, I don't know, they just don't want to move anymore was absolutely incredible. But it's one of those moments that really shows you that what you're capable of is far more than what you think you can do. And so, yeah, that that's something that's really formative. And again, it comes from from good coaching, and that's where my second sort of formative zone was. We had a, a football coach come out from from Newcastle in England, and had been in the um, Sunderland system, and and you know was full of skills and full of knowledge. And one of the things he instilled with all of us was uh, look good, feel good, and play good. And so, it's I guess the deeper level of that is that if you prepare everything um, before the game, when you get to the game, things will take care of themselves. And so those those two things really sort of set me up. And then just having the freedom to, to explore anything you wanted to do in, in a small town, like, you know, whether it be sports, whether it be music, whether it be, you know, production at school or, or singing or anything like that, it was, you know, this 
if someone bullied you, there was equally someone to you know say that's no, nah, that's cool. Don't worry about it. Let's let's get after it. This is lots of fun. So yeah, no, it's a good good place to grow up. Mm, awesome. Yeah, and I don't know if you've come ever come across uh, David Goggins. He yeah, is kind of the, he's <laughs> he's the epitome of uh, what does he say? When you think you're done, you're only about forty percent of the way there. That um, yeah. I think that in terms of kind of like human potential and what we can do, uh, especially like from a physical point of view, is is probably the easiest way for people to understand it is that like when you when you do think you're done, there's you've got a lot more in your in your tank that your body will keep going when your mind is telling you to stop and when it's sort of uh giving you those those cues to say oh nah things are things are hurting you're you're working pretty hard but actually like that's just a really early 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 warning system to say hey if you keep going something might happen down the down the track but you've got it's like the fuel light in the car eh? you've still got age well if the fuel light came on about quarter of the way through the tank, um, you've still got so much more capacity to keep going and, and just sort of push the push the boundaries with that as well. Um, and I think like it's not just from a physical perspective as well. Is it like I've I've found that kind of working on myself and working on uh, creating the podcast and doing the other stuff around the podcast as well is that like sometimes it gets hard and it gets frustrating and you're just like, Oh man, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. But then you kind of go back and you think, Oh, actually this is why I'm doing it. And you can, you can just kind of keep going after that point as well. Uh, and to be clear, Ryan and I are not condoning, not looking after yourself as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> but don't, don't sell yourself short either. Yeah. Um, no, some, something that, just has come to me these last holidays and I'm sure I've heard it in a previous life, but um, listening to Sam Harris, uh, both on Tim Ferriss and, and talking to Peter Atia, something came up about that when you feel pain, it's actually already happened. And it's been the coolest realisation, especially like when you're training in the morning or something like that or going through a hard time that actually it's already over. And... Um, yeah, whenever you look back on hard times, you you usually all also think that oh man, that was that was great, that was amazing. I got so much out of that. But during it, it's tough as shit, and, and you just want it to end. So mm. that's that's another sort of trick that I've tried to like, tell myself to get out of things is that I'm gonna look back on this as as a great moment. And, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and when you. Are you are you always able to do that uh, in the moment? No. Or how long no. have you been how long have you been trying to train yourself to do that for? Um, that, this has sort of just been. Um, it was the end of November. Got back from uh, visiting New Zealand for a weekend, and so I'd been training sort of three days a week. Some weeks had been two days a week, and. and to train, that means that I have to get up at 4.30 in the morning. Um, and the amount of times I'd wake up and turn the alarm off and go back to sleep or um, Alex would be like, oh, no, just stay a bit, don't go to the gym today, and I'd listen to her. But I, I don't know why, but when I came back, I made sure I told myself that at the end of that, you feel amazing and you have a great day. Um, and especially on, on the days where I work locally, I can 
finish the gym, can go over the road to the beach, have a swim, come back, have breakfast, spend a good amount of time with both her and my daughter Billy. And and so, yeah, since since the end of November, I've I've been able to go. Feels hard right now, but at the end of this, I'm going to look back at is that was awesome. I'm so glad I did it. And then yeah, just over Christmas, New Year's, when I heard that um, if you're experiencing pain, that um, stimulus has already happened. So yeah, it's, mm. it's all pretty, all pretty new and, and something that's been been good. Yeah, that's a that's a cool way to look at it. Actually, that that it has whatever it is that has caused your problem has already happened. And like I, I see that quite a lot uh, in my work as a physio is that people have this have this pain and have this injury, and then there's a there's so much anxiety around that pain. Um, and emotion wrapped up in it post-injury that, I mean, probably 50% of, uh, 50% of the people that come in and see me, it's just purely kind of a, it's the anatomical injury. It's fine. You, you get them through it and then they're away laughing. But that other 50% that there is that anxiety and that emotion that's wrapped up in that pain, it just slows everything down. Uh, and creates uh, creates like a prolonged period of of rehabilitation, or um, I love the word catastrophizing uh, about uh, about the injury and about the pain that's happened. And like I, 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 the way that I think of it as well is that like it's from a physical point of view with an injury or something like that, but it, it can also be from like a, a mental and an emotional point of view as well Is that if you have an uncomfortable time or an un- uncomfortable period, if you can view it as, Hey, this discomfort has happened to me, but yeah, actually it's already happened and I can just kind of work, work through it. But if you wrap that emotion uh, and that anxiety up in it, then it just prolongs everything and, and, really slows your slows your process down um, i love what you said um, catastrophizing in process just then like trying to get a, a baby to sleep you can catastrophize it that oh mate this is this is going to be the worst night ever i can't believe this why, why won't they go to sleep but actually it can be half an hour or it can be three hours but then um once it's over it's over and but if you catastrophize it yeah oh the night or the day it's ruined um, and then you, you're upset, you make the, the baby more upset and, and the whole problem just escalates. Whereas if you, as you said, go back to the process and go, right, so I need to go through these, you know, there's about 20 things, but through these things and see if one of them is the problem and you, off, more often than not you get there and, mm. and, and, and it's back to normal and you're like, oh, actually, it's okay. Yeah, I, I feel you. I feel you on that one. I eh? uh, but sometimes in saying that as well, you just need to put the baby down and go away and take five deep, deep breaths and then come back to it and, uh, because it, it's hard to it's hard to remove that emotion sometimes when yeah. you're still in that situation. Eh? Um, bro, let's let's jump right back. This is this is a very kind of Tim Ferriss style one. This one just jumping all over the place. But uh, let's go back to school. Uh, why did you, why optometry? What, what led you to that uh, field of study? Mate, I consider myself exceptionally lucky in that at 12 years old, I knew what I wanted to do. Um, 
So when my younger brother, who's two and a half years younger than me, was in kindy, um, I don't actually know why, but I think he was quite a bit long-sighted and might have had a little bit of astigmatism. And so he wore glasses um, just to make sure that his visual system established. And um, when he was eight, so I was, and I was, that can't be right, he must have been about nine or ten, and I was 12, I went in and saw his exam and I was like, holy cow, that's that's so cool. Um, I think I might do that. And before that, I'd, I'd wanted to be a, a teacher in Queenstown so I could take the class skiing every day. But um, And I'd wanted to be a fireman before that, you know, just all the typical kid things. But then there was something that was really, um, I don't know, captured me about the way that through a series of tests, and I was, you know, my dad's a physicist, um, physics teacher and my mum she was a laboratory technician so I was always interested in science and things and, and basically through the science exam you could give somebody a treatment and hopefully solve a problem and it's not until I finished university that I realised that what drives me is um, improving people's lives and that's what I've written down is why I do stuff but yeah at, at 12 years old I saw this thing that was really cool it involved lots of science um, involved seeing lots of people and I think at a baseline I'm an extrovert you know you probably need to be there to do a podcast but mm. um, yeah you got to interact with lots of people help lots of people and, and change change their life potentially and so from 12 years old it meant that I had a prescribed path in life and, and I just pursued it so yeah I mean through school doing sciences and, and in junior school you know there's only one science so I got to do things that I enjoyed, like woodwork and metalwork and um, graphics and all, all that sort of, those sort of things. And then come come senior school, really knuckle down on those those subjects. And yeah, it didn't all go to plan though. Um, went up to university, and that's probably one of the, the downfalls of living in a place like in Chicago, to breeze through school. And yeah, you know, I'm doing pretty well. And then got to uni, and it all hit that hey. There's, there's a lot more to this when you do an exam, especially when it's worth 40% and, and you show up there having read over your notes thinking, I am prepared for that and you, you end up with 50% for 40% of your mark and basically ruins the rest of the year for you. So um, that meant going to Otago and, and having a good time there and, and doing Bachelor of Science and, and looking at, um, I did anatomy and, and reproduction and development and, and neuroscience. Um, and then, yeah, went back to Auckland to to carry on the journey of, of becoming an optometrist. Mm. Nice, bro. And like, I, I'm interested in the the purpose uh, as well. And actually, you know that at at the moment, I'm writing in a uh, a daily Stoic journal uh, that, mm. se- that that Secret Santa brought me. And, and today, that the question was, what is your purpose? And I was like, that's interesting. Um, and, and it's something I've been thinking about for a little while. And I mean, there's, uh, there's the, the kind of overarching stuff to, to be a great dad and be a great husband and uh, be, show up in relationships for, for other people. But like just thinking about it, and, and as you say, yours is to, to help people. Um, and like I've, I've kind of been thinking about that a little bit myself. And what I've what I've kind of come up with at the moment, and it, it does tend to change, but is just uh, to make it easier for people to do hard shit. Nice. And yeah, that's 
That's cool. I, I got mine, again, it's one of those sort of formative moments. I was sitting around um, in a flat in Auckland. Uh, I'd, I'd finished my degree. I knew that, you know, I'd, I'd got the marks. I was ready to go. I was waiting on registration. Um, and originally at the end of uni, I was going to go to Australia and work in Hobart. And for various reasons, I decided that actually maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. So I was looking for where I was going to work in New Zealand. And, and my brother sent me a, had sent me a range of TED Talks at the end of uni and I didn't have any time for that. And then at that point in time, I did have some time. And I was watching through these these TED Talks um, and one of them was, yeah, around finding, how do you find your why? And, and it was... There was sort of three steps. It was basically you know, working backwards through what Simon Sneak does. You know, how how do you do something? I say, what what is it that you do? How do you do it? And then so why? And then through the sentence, you came up with the why. And and so I was going to be an optometrist. I was going to do uh, a range of examinations to figure out a problem. And in the end, I was going to solve their visual needs and improve their life. And that's where I got that final bit, improving people's lives. So, mm. yeah, that's, that was how that came about. And it was it was really cool in retrospect to look at what it had, had driven me through all, all of that and, and the things that I sort of did. And, and then probably some of my weaknesses and being a bit of a people pleaser. And, and it was just because I was constantly in pursuit of making somebody else happy and, and that at times it probably been at the expense of my own happiness. But yeah, it was it was really, really cool, like you say, formative moments like that 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 change your trajectory. Um and back to what we were saying before about, you know, hard times you gotta try to connect back with why you're doing it, having a strong why and I'm and I'm reading um chapter one by uh Daniel Flynn, I think. From, yeah. yeah, that's it. From Thank You. And, and that's one of the, the topics that keeps coming up is, you know, three years of massive kickbacks, but he was strongly connected with the fact that he wanted to change poverty and he wanted to um, help people get access to clean water. And so no matter what happened, he was going to achieve that goal despite all the pain. Yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. And I think like you're you can you have so much more resilience if you understand why it is that you're that you're doing something mm-hmm. as well and um like i've been thinking about it from a like from a, a work capacity uh perspective as well is that like it, it's great to buy into the the vision of the the company that you work for if if you work for a company if you're self-employed obviously you hopefully buy into what it is that you're doing um but it's really important to understand why it is that you're there as well, because that uh, when when times get tough, that that company vision isn't going to it's not going to be enough to keep you pushing mm. forward and keep you going with it. But if you have that individualized, hey, this is this is what it's about, and this is why I'm doing it, then uh, it does it, it it makes those uncomfortable times a little bit easier to get through for people. Absolutely, and that's. Been, been one of the issues that we've had coming here is from a professional level things haven't quite gone to plan but when we look back at well why did we put ourselves through it why did we you know with a three-month-year-old fly across the Tasman away from our families away from um, their helping hand um, and it was 
to make the most of those young years with Billy and, and have a lifestyle and have a great story for her. And, and through connecting with that, um, we've gone to the beach more, we've explored more, and with that, it's brought more and more happiness. And, and so, yeah, you're right. When you connect back to why you do things, often um, the any negativity can be pushed away and, 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 the, and the good feelings not only improve, but they also surmount because you you continue to do that those things of why you're doing them. Yeah. Mm, mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot again, mate, and, and I want to talk to you about concussion actually, because I mm. know uh, I know concussions played a reasonably large part in in your life, uh, mm. and obviously you you see quite a few people coming into um, to your clinic as well with concussion and, and problems associated with that, but. Do you maybe want to start with just kind of talking us through your experience with, with being concussed? Yeah, um, an unperformative moment. Uh, so I had a few head knocks here and there. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's a video of this, but my nose doesn't sit square on my face. I've got knee, knee in the face and, and I've collided with a few people. Knee in the face playing water polo and I collided with a few people playing rugby. Um, and playing soccer, I had a had a couple of head collisions as well, and and playing rugby, drop dropped, you know, having the legs taken out from under you, playing, um, going up for a high ball and land on the ground, and, and get that sort of dizziness and and shimmer in your in your visual field for the day, um, and whiplash and all the, all those sort of minor ones. But two years ago, uh, I collided. With, with somebody when we were in an, an attack and I was going pretty hard and and I got hit in the temple and it was one of those moments where the whole world went empty um, and I tried to stand up and I just couldn't do it uh, and I, I sort of pivoted around on my hands with my legs and I, I think it was that my vestibular system was just shot. I didn't know which way was up, which was left and which was right. Um, Physio came over and asked who would play the previous week, and I just said no. I don't know. I need to come. Need to come off. And, and having dealt with it and, and known a little bit about it, I knew that what had happened was was not good. Um, so went to the sideline and um, you know got asked to score a few times and just couldn't put it together and. My, my girlfriend was asking me, you know, what did we have for dinner last night? And I, and I couldn't remember. And I'd made it and <laughs> crammed, crammed it. I was, like, super proud. It was delicious. It was this massive cheddar platter of, like, small goods and stuff. It was, it was amazing. Like, I remember now. And, yeah, and then so it was like, right, so um, Waikato had, thankfully, um, initiated the blue card system. So I had to go and check in with one of the... Um, registered doctors um, in order to then start the recovery process from that and so yeah went into the change rooms and tried to shower and it took like so much concentration to be able to just like wipe your hands with the soap and I was trying to text my dad and my, my gran and like I could move my thumb but I just couldn't I had um, aphasia I couldn't put letters to mean words all of a sudden and and I was obviously had a, had a little bit of um, eye movement problem because I couldn't like follow along the directionality of, of the words. Um, yeah, went home and 
I, I knew that part of the symptom of concussion is is a energy deficiency. So when you have trauma in the brain, basically all the glucose in the brain gets sucked up straight away by the astrocytes, which are support cells for neurons. And what that then means is there's a little bit of an energy deficiency for the neurons. And, and whether that's protective or not, because it means that they're not running so high and not creating the same waste product, um, and, and means you know the same way that you put a cast on something, yes, and downregulate that movement, or or you, you when you have uh, an impact in your arm, it swells up, and so you, your body doesn't want to move it. I think I think that's part of that. But I knew that yeah, the neurons in terms of long term are suffering from the energy imbalance. So I took another dose of exogenous ketones, and um, yeah, we drove into into the doctor in thirty minutes. Now this might have just been that. I, I was recovering a little bit and, and maybe the swelling was coming down or, or, or whatever it was, but um, they do a test called a SCAT5 where they get you to try and remember random words and, and balance on one leg and and remember numbers and all these sorts of things. And I, and I passed it and the doctor was sort of sh- shocked and that is like, can you go through what happened again? And I told him pretty much what I've told you now that I got smashed in the side of the head, couldn't stand up, couldn't remember anything. And now I was feeling fine and I was able to, you know, start texting my dad again. And yeah, it was, it's a scary place to be. And luckily for that week, um, hey, I might've felt a little bit down and I didn't get any headaches or anything like that. But yeah, I managed to come out of it in, in two weeks, but you, you see people that come in to practice and they've been six months with a head injury and, and they still can't read. Um, the worst one is for people that are, that are long-sighted and, and sort of in their mid-40s and they've been getting by with reading and, and only chucking on some sort of magnifiers when they need to. And all of a sudden, not only can they not read, but they can't see the distance anymore just because their, their sympathetic nervous system is in such shock that, that the ability to relax and, and allow the ice to focus just isn't there. So not only can they not focus up close, but they can't focus their distance vision either. And, and oh, you just your heart goes out to them. And, and like you say, it adds to the anxiety of the problem and, yeah, um, catastrophize, as you said, mm. their issue. And it's going to make things worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the problem with that that anxiety and that catastrophizing is that it just it ramps up that sympathetic nervous system even more so, which prolongs the prolongs the problem. <laughs> um, so yeah. it turns into a it turns into kind of a, a, a really vicious cycle. So like when you're working with people that have visual problems post concussion, are you do, are you getting them to do some stuff that tries to to dampen down their nervous system? And it's the same for um, anxious children who come in with with reading difficulties and you test all their movements of their eyes and you test their focus of their eyes and everything should be normal, but they just can't relax enough to see up close. And the look on the faces of the parents when I do this is just, you know, uncanny. So I just will will get them to try and focus up close or, or converge up close and they just can't do it. And then I'll get them to do five long breaths, really focusing on that out breath. And in terms of emergence, I can get them to bring whatever target is up to their nose and all of a sudden they can read again. Um, 
we do a thing called facility, which is what we do is it's basically eye press-ups. So we get them to really overact their focusing muscle and really relax out their focusing muscle because that's two things that can sort of be locked in place. Um, whereas you might be able to see well in the distance and can't see up close or you've been looking up close and then you can't look and see clearly in the distance. And just with uh, a simple, you know, break in, in, in their nervous system by getting them to relax out, um, the thought is that by expanding the diaphragm, you stretch the vagus nerve, which is a big sympathetic nerve, um, and, and relax things out, that then overall uh, it, it just starts to happen. And so that's one of the biggest things when it comes to visual training is actually first breaking through this anxiousness and, and, and sympathetic tension and tone so that then they can start to, I guess, prove to themselves that, hey, I'm not fully broken, I'm just in, in the state. And, and of course, they're going to be quite tiring for some people. So initially, you might start off with sort of, you know, one or two cycles of, of whatever exercise. But yeah, allowing someone to make steps forward really helps them. And, and you know, where I was in New Zealand, we'd sort of schedule in a 10-week program. And, and by the second or third time, uh, out of five, people might be right. And we didn't need those last two lessons. So and I'm sure it's something that you sometimes see with, with um, physio that when you prove to prove to someone that hey something's getting better or there is a potential to be better with a little bit of manipulation or whatever then then they really take off Mm. yeah and exactly and i think a lot of a lot of people's pain and problems are especially people with persistent pain is caused but by just that that overactivity of the the sympathetic nervous system and kind of that uh, the way that I think about it is that it gets trained mm. to be active all the time because you're consistently providing it stimulus. It's like you would get really good at lifting weights if all you did was go and lift weights. Um, mm. That actually it's, uh, it's almost trying to retrain that nervous system to, uh, to allow yourself to, to relax and uh, and to start to move a little bit better as well, and it's a very it's a very similar concept when you're I think when you're dealing with feelings of discomfort or um, especially the ones that have a lot of I mean discomfort is really normal uh, and it's it's a natural phenomenon that we that we have, um, but the problem occurs when it starts to it, there's a lot of emotion and anxiety associated with it that. Uh, gets that sympathetic nervous system going and, and, and ramped up. Um, and then it's really hard to kind of break out or kind of move past that, that discomfort. So it's very, it's very similar to all of the other body, bodily systems that rely on, on your nervous system as well. So, I mean, that, that five deep breaths um, or kind of getting into a relaxed position works really well for the physical side of things, but actually it also works really well for, um, the emotional and the the feelings of discomfort as well is that you'll you'll feel a whole lot better, and often you'll be able to move forward a little bit more just by stopping and taking five deep breaths or ten deep breaths. Or um, you're a big one for for working on mindfulness as well, or doing some doing something mindfully. Yeah, and that was just what you were saying about training just then is. 
and and when you have something uncomfortable if you're if you're trained to react in a certain way and you don't you're not mindful of how you react to something then when something bad happens or something uncomfortable happens and your immediate response is um oh i don't like it i'm going to stop or um i'm going to get angry or i'm going to cry or i'm going to get anxious and, and catastrophize this then that's what's going to happen but when you can sit there and and really consider how how do i react to something then you open up a whole bunch of possibilities and a whole bunch of alternatives um for a long time i had a really bad problem of going off at referees and um i'm still it can still creep in to, to to things and probably the best thing for me was actually to be a, a, the captain and be able to talk talk to the referee and have a discussion whereas <laughs> we'd think because then because then i could sort of apply some control to the situation and i think that was also part of it I felt like a loss of control but um, and, and it's something that the All Blacks do and one of the sports psychologists that we had at our rugby club taught me is that uh, the way you feel influences the way you behave which then influences your actions or something like that mm. and so if you can change oh that's right the way you feel influences your thoughts which influences your behaviour so if you can cut off your thoughts, then you can actively change the behavior, which then actively comes back and changes how you feel, which then also means that you can think think more clearly. And yeah, that, that, that just goes to being mindful about the way you react. And, and again, something that Sam Harris talked about in, in this podcast was, you know, when you're eating breakfast, um, and especially going back to having a young one, you're sort of wanting to take the opportunity to get it down and get get fueled. So then, if anything goes wrong, you can you can deal with it instead of being halfway through a meal. But um, often when we eat, we're not appreciating the the mouthful, the the sensation that we've got right now, and actually we're thinking about the next mouthful or the next bit on our plate or that drink that we're going to have with it and we don't truly appreciate it. So it's a real fun task to sit there and, and you'll notice how quickly your mind wanders and goes to other things. Um, and so, yeah, sit there and try to chew the mouthful, finish the mouthful and taste the taste. But don't, don't worry about the fact that you will look at something, start reading something, want to grab that drink. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really buzzy. And when it comes to doing mindfulness meditation is the same thing it's um in the in the sam harris version they'll just get you to focus on breathing and then after a series of guidedness he'll get you to count to 10 breaths and try to concentrate and count to 10 and it's bloody hard to get to the end of the 10 and not have thought about something else or even remember what you were even doing <laughs> and he comes in about you know about i guess 30 seconds later and says you know well done if you got to 10 but likely you've forgotten what you were doing yeah yeah i think when i when i try well when i tried to do that to start with i got to like two and then something would pop in i'm like damn it <laughs> start again um but yeah it, i I like the I like the eating one. I think that's a really cool way to uh, re- quite an enjoyable way to train uh, train mindfulness. Mm. Uh, as long as you're eating something that's 
that's good. Um, but I think as well, like not mindfully eating probably actually uh, contributes to the obesity and, and health epi- epidemic that we're, that we're facing at the moment as well as that people just keep putting stuff in uh, without thinking about it too much. Um, another great way to train mindfulness is sex as well. Yeah. Being, <laughs> being in that, mo- in that moment and focusing, not letting your thoughts wander too. So, uh, for those listeners, practice those too. Uh, at the same time, <laughs> if you want to. Um, but other than those two methods, mate, how do you how do you train your mindfulness? Um, another one that I guess it's it's cold therapy is is another one. It's it's being aware of how quickly you want to get out of a situation. Um, it's, it's quite amazing. It, it goes back to trading and, and, and being in a painful, you know, pain is a great stimulus to, to look at how you react to something. And so if you, before you even turn the shower on, um, you're thinking about, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, this is silly. Oh, it won't matter that I don't, don't do this today. I'll do it tomorrow. Uh, what if I start with hot, then then I'll be able to turn it to gold, and you know I'll just get a little bit at the end, and and it's amazing by by being aware of of where your thoughts are at, it, it can you can then do the thing that you wanted to do, and and another time is is driving, and like driving is really hard because back to that sympathetic nervous system, you're travelling at fifty or hundred k's an hour. And you're taking in so much information all at once. And so your body, without you realizing it, you might think that you're sitting there nice and relaxed, listening to music or a podcast or sound listening of the road. And, the stag roll. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> um, taking, in, taking in the beautiful countryside. But actually your, your automatic nervous system is ready for anything dangerous at any time. So that's why if something untoward happens like, someone cuts you off or, you know, the narrow roads that I drive, the person sort of comes down the road in the middle of the road at you and you go, what the hell are you doing? Um, that's why you react so quickly. But what I try and do is, you know, identify faster that, hey, it's all right, I'm fine. Um, don't worry about it. And that's another time when, when I'll do sort of five breaths and even sometimes driving along, I'll remember and go, you know, just do five breaths right now. It's, it's okay. Um, yeah. Mm. That's, that's another time that, that I practice mindfulness and that's, you know, it, again, go back to the baby thing. When, when Billy's crying or upset, I, I try not, not react negatively or take it on board that it's my fault or my, my problem and just try to stay in the moment and trying to help her. That's, Again, another thing when I practice examining how I feel and how I react, and probably you know brings up some thoughts of of what you how you were sort of treated as a child, you know, good or bad or indifferently, but um, you know how you sort of felt about the way that people projected onto you. That's you know, it's amazing where you go when you start to really delve deep into why do I feel this way. Mm. And uh, you, I know that you're quite a big one on uh, on exploring those thoughts and kind of pulling at those threads. And another way that you do that is by journaling as well, eh? 
Yeah, so it's it's kind of like a um, a mindset shift for the day, and it's the same with what I said about getting up and, and going to the gym and going to swim. It, it helps to establish a positive mindset. There's plenty of people out there saying, you know, win the morning, win the day, or you know, importance of morning routines and all that sort of carry on. But yeah, I I start off with writing the date, and that just gets me going. So writing the date. If you've watched the Richie McCall movie, writing Start Again, I think that's a powerful, um, simple way to, to get things going. Um, two Tim Ferriss things, 30,000 and 86,400. So you should live for about 30,000 days and there's 86,400 seconds in a day. And so I've got that there established and it means that, hey, I'm writing, hey, I'm journaling. Um, of late, I've started to find a quote, um, whether from someone that sort of, I don't know, known as a good philosopher or writer or something, and just I just Google it. Or like I was reading the Legacy All Blacks book, I, I got a couple of things out of there, or soon, soon to read um, Tribal Mentors once Alex has finished <laughs> chapter one. But yeah, if, if there's something that really resonates, or, or a podcast that has a good statement, I'll, I'll write that down. And then three things I'm grateful for. Um, three affirmative statements uh, and by that stage you're really thinking about who you want to be, what you, what you want to be known for, um, what characteristics you'd like to portray. Um, I sort of write those things down. So they might not be things that I'm currently doing or, or they might have also been things that I let slip and, and, you know, it's a good way to remind yourself that, hey, maybe that wasn't so good but this is how I want, want to be. And then the last thing is uh, I, again, write things so that I'm grateful for, but that haven't actually happened. So it's kind of visualization exercise, um, maybe maybe manifestation if you want to call it that. But you're really trying to align that sort of North Star, sort of what why am I doing this for? What's what's the sort of outcomes that I would love in an ideal life? And, and that's, that's basically my journaling for the day and it. And it, and it kicks it off, and, I, and I'll share the quote on on Instagram, um, on at Stag Vision, and yeah, the old person comes back and it resonates with them, so it's cool. Mm. And I think, I mean, write, writing things down, and and it's not something that I do like on a super regular basis. Although with the uh, what in my day day four on the uh, on the Stoic j- uh, Journal, so I've got what another depending on which literature you yeah. <laughs> another 362 days to go or uh, at least another 62 days to turn it into a habit depending on what uh, mm. um, what literature you look at um, but yeah it's been it's been interesting and I find writing stuff down for me as well is that I again kind of if we go back to slowing the brain down as well as mm. slowing the nervous system down is that often I have so many thoughts going around and just whizzing around in my head um, that it's really hard to make sense of them while they're in there. Um, I'm quite a, quite like yourself, I'm kind of an extroverted person as well. Um, and I think a lot of extroverts, one of the, uh, one of the characteristics of them is that they think externally as well mm. is that, Actually, like if I'm having a conversation with something or someone or I'm starting to write something down, 
I don't know the full extent of what I'm thinking until I've had this conversation or until I've written this stuff down is that like I'll get part way through and I'm like, holy shit, do I think that? Mm. Um, or why do I think that? So it's, yeah, I think uh, it, like as we've talked about previously, it's, it's another really good way to one, be mindful to slow things down and uh, three, kind of be proactive about the direction that you want to take in life. And like I, I being from New Zealand, I don't like the term North star. Like, I don't know why, <laughs> I, I don't know why we don't use Southern cross for that. That's what we used yeah. to navigate down here, man. And, and I always, always look at it, especially being from, from Southland. It's like, I look at that, that Southern cross and go, my home's yeah. down there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it, you, you just brought up a thought like, um, I have a blog and I'm intermittent with that. And that's mostly because I actually hate writing. Um, <laughs> I, I, I hated English so much. I was so excited when seventh form came around uh, or year 13, whatever you want to call it. But, um, and I didn't have to do it anymore. And then you get to uni and you've got to write essays and it was just, I don't know, three hours of hell just trying to get thoughts out onto a page and answer the right question the right way. And and um, looking at my marks, you, you probably think that maybe I didn't write them the right way. But anyway, <laughs> we, we, we got there in the end. But um, it's incredible. When I start to blog, I basically will have a topic and then I'll just go. And, all, and it will only take me like 20 or 30 minutes and I'll be on the page. And I will just be like, holy shit, where did that all come from? And like you say, was that actually what I was thinking about? And so many feelings and, and thoughts and inputs um, just get out. And then I'll get Alex, thankfully, you know, she's amazing. She'll, she'll edit it for me and then fix up all the grammatical disasters. <laughs> As I said, I got rid of simple form English um, that, that are in there. And then, then I'll just put it out to the world. But yeah, it's, it's amazing, like you say, um, we think externally and, and it's exactly right. I, f- I find all these links with things that I've heard or things that I've seen or things that I've done or people have done or people have told me and it's always constantly coming in and, and that moment to slow down and write, start writing it out and, and get rid of it is, is so therapeutic. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like I, I, I find even writing about it more than one time, as well is that you'll you'll understand things a bit better the first time around but every time you do it you'll add another layer on top of it question for you though mate is when you're when you're blogging why don't you put some of the stuff that you journal about in there and create create a bit more consistency around it (laughs) yeah that it is it's interesting you say that because that's probably what I've got to write about next is because I've had a few people say, oh, how do you go about it or what do you do? So I'll probably do a blog about how I journal and then, yeah, like you said, it might might spark, <laughs> spark something off to, to be more consistent, mm. which oh, you know, no, no. I've, I've done done two in the last month, so maybe, maybe I'm getting more consistent again, I don't know. <laughs> nice, nice. And I don't, I don't just mean how to journal. I mean like the actual content of what it is that you're journaling about as well. It's like you journal, then you, yeah. then you turn that into a blog. 
something to something to ponder anyway, mate. Something to ponder. <laughs> um, before we tie things off, I want to have a chat about your podcast, actually. The Stag Raw, uh, great yep. podcast, great great guests, um, myself included. Uh, oh, but where, where did uh, like where did that come from? Um, so I was reading Tools of Titans. Um, had just started. So Alex had got into Gary V, which I saw you put up a post today about Gary V and. I was the same as you. I was like, oh, this guy's full of shit. Yeah. Man, you're a, you're a dick. When I met him, actually, I was like, I had to say to him, I was like, sorry, mate, I thought you were a dick when I first came across you. And he's like, thank you so much. He, he likes that. He, he's like, yeah, these, these people that used to hate me but now like me, they're the ones that I enjoy the most. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was, we were down at a... Um, work weekend had a conference in Rotorua and we're driving back and Alex was playing a few other things. I was like, oh, that's actually quite good. And then, um, so I was like, oh, what's, what's the deal? And Alex was like, it's literally on your phone. Podcast app is literally on your phone and you can get access to anything. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And so I was like, well, I heard Joe Rogan and watched, I'd watched a few of Joe Rogan already, but I was like, oh, I can just listen to it. This is, this is awesome. And then I was like, oh, Tim Ferriss. So yeah, now I'll listen to that. You know, I've been told Four Hour Work Works a great book, and still haven't read it. But um, it is good. Yeah, it's, yeah exactly. I've been told it's amazing. Um, and then Joe interviewed this guy called um, Dan Doty, and it was about his podcast basically. And and Dan had recorded the first hunt that Joe Rogan went on, um, and that was their connection. And so. Dan's podcast is called Everyman Podcast and basically that's um, uh, a gateway to the organisation that he runs, which is men's groups and, and men's retreats and also Dan and a few other guys and Everyman do some personal coaching as well. And so then I started listening to Dan's podcast and um, also Gary Vee had a podcast saying about Anchor, like everyone, you know, if you like talking or you've got an idea, just start podcasting, go on Anchor. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds fine. And yeah, I was listening to these band only podcasts and they're one and two. And I was like, man, this guy's just started. He's got so many amazing thoughts. And it might have been the day I was, I was driving off to a hunt and the, the sunrise was coming up and had a day of the bush. And so I was able to ruminate all day. And yeah, I was like, well, my why is improving people's lives. What can I podcast about? And I thought that I know a lot of young people that are trying to make a difference in the world, trying to start something. Um, maybe a podcast could help their platform take off just in a little bit. Now, you know, it's not going to be the same as going on Joe Rogan and, and you know, reaching a three million people or something, and you know, two hundred thousand of those thinking well that's really awesome i'm going to buy that product or support that cause or whatever but i was like it's got to start somewhere and like this guy dan Doty, he was just starting in order to start off his business and start off this movement of every man and, and it's been awesome he's been on the today show and and yeah he's one of the things that if they release a podcast i tune in and and i posted yesterday about the one um that they had it was it was a powerful story it was another hunter um he writes a magazine called The Hunter's Path and 
he's just been diagnosed with pancreatic and liver cancer. Um, basically, he was like fit as hell, and and all of a sudden he couldn't keep weight on. He'd you know, lose fifteen kgs and go, oh shit! And so then he'd go in the gym and change his diet and put it back on, and he'd be like, sweet, oh, that's fine. And then all of a sudden it was gone again. And so he went to the doctor, and the doctor was like, oh, you're diabetic. He was like, what the hell? You know, what? Why am I why diabetic? And then the doctor was like. Well, you're the wrong age to be type two diabetic. You're the wrong physique to be type two diabetic. I think there's something more going on, and and yeah, sure enough, he had this bad cancer in his liver and pancreas. That's why he's not producing any insulin, and, and and his blood sugar was had gone crazy. Um, he's he's since managed to turn the diabetes around, and he's off insulin, and and yeah, he's since recording the podcast, he's doing well. But yeah, it's just these real powerful and, and raw discussions. And I was like, yeah, I want to try and do that. So yeah, um, I, I contacted a guy that I, that I knew through um, Sojourner's Ketones and we sat down and recorded a podcast. And then um, my mate who runs a non-for-profit in the Waikato called The Waterboy, um, and now they're, they're doing everything uh, really well. Not that it's probably anything to do with my podcast, but yeah. <laughs> we yeah, interviewed him and, and another friend is, is running a real boutique personal gym that really focuses on like core movements and values and nutrition. Interviewed him and um, uh, at the time I was still involved with um, uh, an organisation which now has also gone really well, Seed Waikato. So I talked to one of the guys from rugby there and I thought he'd have a really good message. And yeah, just from there, I thought that I can help share someone's message to you know what was originally a small audience and one day hopefully will be a large audience and, and make a difference for those people and also selfishly get to interview people prove to myself that you know there's not a not necessarily one way of doing things and you know people that are less ordinary are always good to prove to yourself that hey maybe this little idea that i've got in my head could go somewhere and and the podcast serves two purposes and that the people you're interviewing prove to you that there's another way in doing the podcast as well. You prove to yourself that, you know, you can make make an influence and make a difference. And yes, that's what the thought, thought process happened behind it. And it's still just um, recorded on my laptop and, and um, chucked through anchor out to the world. And <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Awesome, mate. Uh, and if people want to check it out, like how do they do that? Yeah, so it's on most platforms. That's the beauty of anchor is that, they then share it out to most platforms. So if you're an iPhone user, that app is literally straight on your phone, that big purple thing with a, it's kind of like a transmitting speaker image. Um, that's podcast app. And if you just go in there and search the stag rule, you should find it. Um, Anchor on, on the internet or on your phone, they're just an app. Um, Androids have things like Stitcher, Podbean, Overcast. Yeah, pretty much any podcast app, you'll be able to find the stag rule. Um, on there and i've got up to about episode 49 on youtube and that's just under rhino connor and another sort of creative outlet i have there i've got the rugby roundup um on youtube from i think two seasons and then on my instagram i've got this this season that i played in australia on itv (laughs) yeah nice uh where can people connect with you on instagram yeah ad stack vision's really good um and also 
you know, I have, have split personality maybe. I have at Stag Ryan as well, but that, that's more my sort of day-to-day and family and me and Alex exploring stuff and then and also the sort of hunting stuff. Um, I do it will be on Stag Ryan. Um, that's where I follow hunters and things like that. But then on that Stag Vision, it's more sort of performance and and um, mindset. And, and so, yeah, I follow lots of athletes and and uh, gym owners and stuff like that on on Stag Vision. So that's where I go for that sort of motivation and where I go for more sort of, I suppose it's my yin and yang, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, nice, mate. Now we're at the questions that you've been waiting for. Hopefully you've, you've prepped these, bro, because uh, they're going to yeah. get tough. What was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? The last uncomfortable thing I did was yesterday morning. Um, the wad was having to do a run and then continually heavier um, shoulder overhead movements so it was a barbell and yeah I got through it by thinking about the pain I'm feeling has already ended and um, unfortunately I was the person that was leaving the class so um, I don't know I think there was a little bit of maybe I can win you know it's, it's, you're never winning but um, win, win the class or get the best time or I don't know Set, set the example, motivate others. I don't know what it was, but yeah, that was how I was, how I was getting through it. <laughs> okay. What's the, what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? <sighs> uncomfortable thing that I'm going to do is going to be um, we're flying back to New Zealand for a fortnight. Um, why is that uncomfortable is because there's a little bit of anxiety around it. Uh, we've done it twice now, once when we flew over here, um, flying with the babies, always unknown. She was perfect on the plane, perfect for an hour of driving, then cried the rest of the way home and probably the rest of the day. Um, and then we flew to, well, we flew to Queenstown via Sydney and then had to drive another two hours home to Invercargill and so again Billy was awesome on the plane um, the car trip didn't go so well and then also sleeping in another bed didn't go so well so that's the next uncomfortable thing that um, I've got to do and basically all, all I need to tell myself is that we've done it before and it's worth it and it's not that bad <laughs> yeah yeah, delusional maybe. <laughs> <laughs> nice, um, mate. And we've we've talked about a lot of these already. But do you have any other strategies that you use to approach uncomfortable situations? Uh, I, I touched on it there with the podcast. It's, there's always examples of people that have done done stuff. So why can't you? That's uh, it's, it might not mean that you can do it right now, but you could probably do some variation in it right now and, and work towards that end goal. Um, you know, I find that inspiration is good to prove to yourself that it's possible. Um, then motivation comes from putting in the practice and, and, and inspiration. So, especially when it's hard or, 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 you know, you've got a goal that seems beyond reach. Um, and this is another thing that I, do. I, I try to set goals. 
Um, I try to minimize those goals, um, make them down into smaller and smaller and smaller steps. Um, try, you know, you've probably heard of the term smart goals. You, you, you try to set them, measure them, can never remember what A is attainable or uh, achievable or achievable. accurate. Yeah. 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 Realistic. And then T time bound. Time. Ah, that's right. Time bound. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it, it's, it's not something that I like. I just know that that's what they call. It's just something that sort of happens. <laughs> and sometimes I'll write them down too. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, my long-term goal is to own a deer farm. Um, that's sort of a destination farm with a restaurant and things. And so I have in the start of my diary, I have all these ideas around it. So that, that's another, another way that I do to help visualize it. And, and like I said, that visualization. Have I lost you? <laughs> yeah. You cut out there for a second. Uh, just as a, the network bandwidth is low. But that's okay. I think you're. I think you're back now. Um, did you say anything else after visualization? No, that was all. Nope. Sweet, <laughs> beautiful. Uh, right, just need to edit this bit out then. Um, mate, I want to. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing some time with me today. It's been it's been great to to connect and have a chat, and uh, the conversation always flows so so easily when uh, when I'm talking with you, which is great. Uh, but I also want to say thank you so much as well for, for your purpose and for, for getting out there and actually making an improvement in, in people's lives and helping them improve their own lives too. And hopefully, uh, I'm sure that the people listening today will have, uh, will have taken some stuff away that they can use to, to improve their situation either in the moment or, or in the future. So thanks for that, mate. Awesome, man. It's an absolute pleasure. <laughs> And I've got one final question for you. Do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? This is one I did prepare. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Um, so it goes back to my interview I did with um, Robert Dunn, who's the CEO of Movember New Zealand. Um, we did that in November, of course. And um, it was, and it kind of also ties into being mindful and aware. And it's finding out um, the family history that you have in your family because it's a question that I ask in practice that very few people know the answer to. And the reason why I think that's so important, especially as guys is that that allows you to be aware of, um, I guess your mortality, but the, the finiteness of, of your everyday, the sort of everyday decisions that you make, um, it helps to, give you an idea of, of what you're at risk for and potentially make changes that, that uh, influence your future. So, for example, in the eyes, um, anybody that has a family history, a, a, a parent with macular degeneration is 26% chance of getting it themselves. And so that's reasonably high. Um, however, if that person avoids seed oils, if they try and eat around three servings a week of oily fish, they consume plenty of um, eggs and, and green leafy vegetables and orange and red vegetables, uh, only a, a handful of raw nuts a week. You know, 
they can virtually eliminate that 26% risk factor. And like most things, if they don't smoke, that risk is, is really gone. And then even for the smokers out there, if they quit smoking within 10 years, their risk um, ratio has returned to that of a non-smoker. So that it doesn't just um, apply to lies, but it applies to everything. So for one of the key things that drives me um, when it comes to um, diet and nutrition and health is that I lost my grandfather to type 2 diabetes. So I know that I'm at risk more of type 2 diabetes. You know, we're all pretty, pretty highly at risk of type 2 diabetes, but I have that in my genetic makeup. And so that's why I try to avoid processed carbohydrates, um, try to minimize um, easily digestible carbohydrate, um, why sort of lean more towards keto, ketone, uh, ketosis and, and, and paleo way of living and why I exercise and try to maintain a good body composition. You know, it, it helps to give you a why when you're in touch with what might be your mortality. And I, I think Tim Ferriss and, and it's in, it'll probably come up with, with in Daily Stoic, it's something that Ryan Holiday put, puts forward is that like, uh, Memento Moray, uh, um, great artists used to put a, a skull in, in their images and, and people used to have a skull on their desk to, to know that this life is um, finite and, and we all um, have mortality. And so it's what we do with today and what we do with our time that, that matters and makes it you know, live a powerful and impactful life. Yeah, mm. that's what I leave people with. And a, and a challenge, find out your family history. Mm, yeah, cool challenge, man, cool challenge. Ryan, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. No worries, man. It was awesome. Thanks so much. The short and sweet outro today, you know, I don't need to reiterate what I say. That's <laughs> what the whole podcast is about. But I will say go over and check out the Uncomfortable is OK podcast and also all of Chris Desmond's handles as well as my interview with Chris um, a few ago. And, of course, the podcast is brought to you by Waikito. That's exogenous ketones, W-A-I-K-E-T-0.P-R-U-V-I-T-N-O-W.com. It's Waikito with a zero dot proveitnow.com. Get your hands on exogenous ketones. Now, the caveat to that is that it's only if you're in the USA, Canada, Australia, and East Asia. Like many of you on this podcast who are guests in New Zealand, you'll need to head over to the Facebook page and send me a direct message. It's Waikito, spelled normally, W-A-I-K-E-T-O, no zero there, or at Stack Vision on Instagram, just slide into the DMs, as they say, and I can hook you up with exogenous ketones. I've spoken about them many, many times, especially in the realm of preventing and recovering from concussion. Um, in the case of hunting, giving yourself a great fuel to go that little bit extra and hopefully have more efficient use of energy up high in the mountains. I'm sure there's many other uses. Free diving, if you like uh, Talman Manson and you like to do a bit of spear fishing, that's where kind of where exogenous ketones were developed. They were developed for Navy SEAL divers who were using uh, rebreathers. Being in a state of ketosis means that they don't suffer from basically the bends, oxygen poisoning from those rebreathers. So wide and diverse uses for exogenous ketones. They put your body in a state of ketosis in 30 minutes and have you feeling great, thinking clearly, without brain fog. And 
if you're trying to lose weight, they mean that you are able to more easily get into a calorie deficit and shed those pounds. That website again is waiket0.proveitnow.com or hit me up on at Vision on Instagram or the Waikito Facebook page. And of course, both those last two, you can catch up on all of the podcast episodes. Also, I know I've just been catching up on the YouTube videos. Of course, there'll be no YouTube video for this, but yeah, if you want to check out who is behind the podcast, head over to my YouTube channel, Ryan O'Connor, and you can catch all the podcasts there. Have a good week, and we'll catch you next week on the podcast. That is the Stag Ryan, Stag Raw podcast. <laughs> Cheers.